And for me, something that I've had to track is like, am, are we both stretching ourselves for the spiritual growth of the other person? Or um, am I doing a lot of stretching <laughs> and then setting boundaries when I can't stretch anymore and hoping that my boundaries are respected and calling that stretching on their part? Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 307. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Rachel Lark. Rachel is a musician, a performer, a writer, and she does so much work around sex and relationships. That's what her content is about, and it's incredible. Yeah. If, you, if you're if you a Dan Savage follower, you've likely heard her, or maybe you're a, a Bay Area native. She, she used to frequent the area. She used to live here. So yeah, super amazing musician, and we're super excited to get not only her story out there, but what I would say is one of the more philosophical yeah. interviews we've had. So it's pretty amazing about just sort of the the mindsets and the philosophies that we all carry through and and the ways in which we question the norms and and beliefs that that our society pumps into us all the time. Yes. It's a it's a beautiful conversation. So please stick around for that. Before we jump into it for the premium subscribers, we wanted to tell you a few more things about Rachel that are important. One, she's got a tour coming up actually starting later this week if you're listening to this when it came out in the end of September. So she has four tour dates through the end of sep or the end of September through the beginning of October. And we would highly recommend you check those out. Again, links are in the podcast player show notes below or on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab. And the last thing we wanted to mention was just a note about indie content creators, indie musicians and artists, and how we all make a living. And so you you hear us every week talk about, well, you used to hear us talk about our Patreon community. <laughs> you hear us talk about our, our current virtual community. And that's because many of us make our living five bucks at a time, 10 bucks at a time. And Rachel is no different. So please head over to the links in the show notes in the podcast player below to her Patreon page. She has just about as many Patreon and community supporters as we have. And so we know, we just know the the power and the way that makes her day, because we know the way it makes our day when we get a new five or $10 member. I think Emma and I still text each other and celebrate every time. So yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah, so please go support her if you're able to, and we hope you love this interview as much as we did. For anyone who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview now. And for anyone else, we do have a few announcements. Good announcements today. We have a brand new announcement. We do. We do. So first of all, how to sign up for the premium subscription. That is not new information. You go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll all the way down on the homepage, that brand new homepage, by the way. Yes, it was revamped. And you click on the button there that says, go premium. Yes. 
Next up, we had an exciting announcement published in the in our podcast last Friday. If you happen to miss it, go back and listen, but we're going to recap really quick what it is right now. We are doing and launching Ask Us Anything episodes partnering with Miche from Expansive Connection. These are going to be one-time-a-month episodes where most of the time Finn and Miche answer questions. I'll be popping in here and there as well, but we're super excited about these episodes and what we need from all of you, we need questions from you to make these work. Yeah, so head over to our website again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. If you click on the podcast tab, there's now a drop-down, and one of the options says, ask us anything. If you click that, there'll be a little bit more information about how to do that and a big button that says something like, send us a voicemail or send us a question. And that is where you click and you record a question for us and we will answer it on the show. Mm -hmm. We are super excited about this new format for the podcast. Again, these weekly episodes are not going away. We're just sort of introducing this in as a way to connect with you better and to bring some different voices onto the show. Miche is a therapist and a coach who is also non-monogamous and comes from a very different backgrounds than us, a lot more religion and just a totally different place in the world that she grew up. So, we are excited for that. So please, as Emma said, send us questions. We would love to answer your questions. So please send them our way. And next, we had our virtual meet and greet last week. It was amazing. We had a lot of fun. And we have another one coming up in October. It'll be on October 20th. A quick note, we're having issues with our website and our sign up function. So you can't sign up quite yet, but we're working on resolving that. So hopefully you'll be able to sign up soon. We just wanted to tell you the date now so you can mark it in your calendars and join us on the evening of October 20th. Yeah, we host these every month and we're super excited to bring them back. We took the summer off, but yeah, these are a way to meet and greet amazing people from all over the world. We had over 30 people on our last one, and we had a great time. And to be clear, these are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. Yes. So again, stay tuned on when and how to sign up. But for now, just mark your calendar. October 20th, it's a Friday night. Clear it off. Put the kids to bed. Send them off to a friend's house. Whatever you got to do. And come join us. And come join us. Mm-hmm. Next up, we wanted to remind you about our virtual community. We talk about this all the time. And so actually... This week, we got a testimonial from one of our amazing community members who joins us for just about every call we do. We do. And so it's short and powerful. So we're not even going to, we're not going to pitch the hell out of our community. Let's just listen let's just to do the, it. Let's just listen let's to just testimonial. Please feel free to join us. You will get respect, love, and support on levels that you never knew existed. Welcome home. And then we're coming back. And we're back. So, (laughs) yeah, I think what's amazing about this, short and sweet, but it truly is. It shows how so many of our members feel that our community is like a family, is their home, is their home away from home. And so we're excited to to hear that and also to, to welcome and offer all of you to join us. Yes. To sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the community tab. You can find out all of the details there. And if you happen to be a community member, we'd also love for you to send us testimonials just like the one today. Thank you to the person who sent it to us. We're really grateful, and we just love getting other voices out there. Yeah, we greatly appreciate it. And the last thing we wanted to tell you about is our favorite way, Emma and I's favorite way, the way that we get tested for STIs stdcheck.com. We tell you about it every week because 
It is one of our favorite resources that exists on the planet. You can go to the resources page on our website, click on the links there to sign up. You get When you use those links, you get a discount making a 10-panel test only $129, and you support the podcast and, and along the way. So we really appreciate you using those links. stdcheck.com is a great way to get tested, know your sexual health status. It's uh, discreet and easy and simple to use. And lightning quick. Yes. You go in one day, like the next day you get a text. It's like, hey, your results are ready. And then you get them and you're like, hey, all the people, my my results are here. (laughs) And now we're going to have some fun. Yes. All right. Finally, a quick reminder, go to the contact us page on our website, send us a voicemail, send us an email, send us those questions for the Ask Us Anything episodes as well. And with that, let's go and talk with Rachel. Well, welcome to the podcast, Rachel. We're excited to talk to you today. Thank you for being here. Uh, We would love for you to start by introducing yourself at whatever level you're comfortable with. Sure. Uh, So my name is Rachel Lark. I'm a musician, performer, writer, and I like uh, writing songs about sex, relationships, what makes being a human complicated. And I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. I I'm going to take issue. I don't think it's being it's that complicated what we're doing here. But, <laughs> but, but, sex and relationships yeah. are not complicated. But maybe maybe you're here to prove us are wrong. You, today. Are you living in a different world than me? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's super easy. You just tune everything out and do your own thing. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's one way of handling Ignorance it. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> well, would you mind maybe telling us a little bit about your relational ecosystem? And then we happen to know that you might be into the non-monogamy game a little bit, and maybe we can go back in time and figure out where that came into your life. Yeah, sure. So I am, I, uh, let's see, I identify as a bisexual, kinky woman, cis woman. I don't generally identify as polyamorous. I know this is something that you guys have gotten into, whether it's an identity or a relationship model. To me, it really feels like it's a a chosen relationship model, a way mm-hmm. of relating. And I'm also open to uh, you know, different models at different points in time with different people, if that's what makes sense for the people or person that I am in a relationship with. But um, for me, I think that um, non-monogamy feels like a good starting point for any new relationship. I don't think I would like begin a relationship with a a person that wants to be monogamous at Mm -hmm. this stage in my journey. So that's a really long way of saying that I am poly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But not by identity. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, for, uh, there's like, I feel like there's the way of answering this question. That's like, what do you put on your dating profile? And there's the like, how do you actually relate to this question in paragraph form? We appreciate the paragraph paragraph form. (laughs) Well, I I think, too, something you said in there is really interesting. The idea that you saying that you would not necessarily start a new relationship in a monogamous fashion where you're at today, right? And and I think what's interesting about that is that I think that's what most people do, even in the quote-unquote monogamous world, but they just don't talk about it, right? You just say, Mm -hmm. well, I'm still dating around, and it's just sort of this unspoken sort of norm that everybody has versus Mm -hmm. what it sounds like you're talking about is more of a, Hey, I'm interested in you. We're going to start dating, but 
here's some explicit language around the fact that that, that doesn't mean that we've just given up everything else. And I don't think that that's yeah. super common. That's exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, if I were to pick a relationship model identity, mm-hmm. it would probably be like relationship anarchy feels mm-hmm. more like an identity to me because anarchist feels like a political identity to me. It feels like a values identity to me. And the way that um, the best definition of of anarchism that I've heard is from Noam Chomsky, where he says that, you know, anarchism is basically that authority is not assumed. So mm-hmm. it's not that it doesn't exist. It's not that we never have the need for structures of authority or hierarchy, but they're not assumed. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily stay in existence past their utility. And I feel that way in my life about everything I interact with, whether it's like, you know, the laws of the city that I am in, uh, whether it's um, assumptions between people, whether it's, you know, a relationship that, you know, characterizes how I relate to the earth and other animals. Like, I feel like all of this stuff is at least open Mm -hmm. to being reconsidered. And I certainly take as kind of premise of relating to the world that most of the ways that we as humans are doing things are probably wrong. (laughs) So (laughs) like I approach everything with a sense of, humility, at least I try to, of mm-hmm. like, I I don't know that I have all the answers and the best ways of doing things, but I do know that I want the freedom to interrogate any structure that we're sort of using to, to move through the world. And so I do approach dating that way as well, where I'm like, okay, we like each other. Does that have any implications for what we should expect from each other? Does that make sense? Do we want to rely on each other? What can I rely on you for? What feels good to have me rely on? You know, like all of these different ways of relating and talking about how we're relating to me even extend to like my friendships and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so powerful to because you, you do, you step back and you just take everything as it is and you say, hey, hey person, I like you, you like me, but look how crazy my life is. Look how crazy yours is. Maybe we just like each other in absentia for the next whatever six months and then maybe there's something different in six months or maybe not or maybe then it's right. hey we're, we're yeah and i think that ability like you said with friends even to say hey like i think this could be an amazing friendship or this has been an amazing friendship but i'm i'm moving or i'm right. doing something right. like what does that mean for us and what we're doing and how do we do that rather than just making assumptions and saying well when one person moves, what you should do is this. Like, There's yeah. no shoulds out here. We're just, we're making it up as we go. And people have different ways of expressing their commitment. People have different ways of expressing their care. And, you know, people are able to track other people on different mm-hmm. parts of their lives. Um Yeah, I, right now in, on my dating profiles, I'm saying that, I'm in a primary relationship with my career and I'm in love. Um, (laughs) Basically, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I, I definitely as a poly person in their thirties right now, who's also like unpartnered, I, it does feel, I feel like a lot of people probably go through this after big breakups, which I have just been through a couple big breakups. 
where it like feels like I'm the only single poly person on the planet. Like I, you know, I meet all these poly people and they're like, oh yes, my nesting partner. And then my other girlfriend. And then my, like this partner that lives in this other city. And I'm just like, man. Could you share? Yeah. <laughs> but, leave, leave some for the rest of us. <laughs> I also relate to the the feeling of like, I'm in love with my career right now though, mm-hmm. too. Like not that you're opposed to relationships you know, starting new relationships, it sounds like you definitely are, but there's a, there's a time commitment and an energy commitment that goes into something that you love so much that can be something else other than a, a, you know, romantic connection with somebody. Yeah. And like I, my patterns in relationships have been that when I partner with someone, I really give a lot of myself, like a lot. And I am really enjoying right now being in a place where I'm like, I'm going to give that much of myself to myself, you know, to my projects, to my passions. And I feel like it's a good heads up to anybody that I might meet to sort of say like, I'm not trying to do that with a person right now. I'm trying to do that like with myself, at least for a little while, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, take a little time to recalibrate and sort of find like, what am I like when I'm, oh, huh? Ripley. Oh yeah. That's my <laughs> other primary relationship with my dog. <laughs> that's, that's her. She's Aww. adorable. <laughs> adorable. <laughs> well, we're, we're a pet friendly podcast. It's okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So I think that, um, it's also, I think it's also hard for women, especially to like admit that they're really giving as much as they often give in relationships to themselves. And I'm trying to like own that right now at this point in my life. And it's, it's hard because there's so many tropes that exist in our culture of like, you know, the workaholic and like the, you know, the, the, like when women are, are just focusing on themselves, they're really selfish and they're, and, and I, as radical as my politics have always been, like those those models and those negative stereotypes are are in there, and it takes like daily decision making to not listen to those characterizations and to commit to what feels really authentically good for me right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, and what a you know, neat reframe <laughs> in some ways on like, you know, going through breakups is hard. And you went through, you went through a couple of breakups and now reframing that and being like, no, like this, I'm going to take this time for myself and to notice like that. I agree. A lot of times, stereotypically women, especially are not encouraged to do that. Right. And, and reframing that for yourself and just embracing that, not that I'm sure there's, you know, not hard times too. And um, emotions that you have to work through, but I, I just, I love that power that you're taking and, and putting into yourself. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I also love too just the awareness of when I do relationships, I kind of do them with a hell of a lot of intensity and maybe I don't have, like, even if you could step back and go, I actually have the space in my life for a relationship, but Maybe not how I do them. Maybe I do right. them so intense that that I need that intensity somewhere else. And I think that's just self-awareness that like is incredibly powerful to have and to be able to communicate to somebody like, hey, person, if we're gonna if we're gonna take a step down this road, like 
it's going to be an intense ride. And you maybe should know that that's a little bit about how I do relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, uh, yeah, this is the long road of growing up and, and, (laughs) um, observing yourself in relationships and the, I think the really delicate push and pull of, um, enmeshment where, you know, we get into, um, these deep relationships where we are vulnerable, both because we're showing parts of ourselves that we usually don't show to other people or to ourselves. And because we're taking the leap of relying on someone else for our survival. And I think there's a type of growth and a type of healing that can only happen in that, um, like way of relating and, you know, there's certain growth that we can't do in our friendships or in our work relationships or, you know, that kind of thing. But at the same time, sometimes that exercise and that time commitment, that energy drain can take away from Mm -hmm. some of the growth that we actually just need to literally do on our own Mm -hmm. sitting with ourselves and, Sometimes we can distract ourselves with the repair of a romantic partnership almost to avoid the repair that we just like need to do with our primary relationship with ourselves. And that dance of like how we figure out that balance of when I'm tending to me, when I'm like just focused on my own growth and and when I'm doing that growth and, and transformation that can only happen when your heart's enmeshed with another person. It's ugh, deeply difficult, very, very, very hard. And I don't think there's like a right answer of here's how much you should spend on each, yeah. you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I imagine it for us or for me, I'll speak for me. Like it goes through seasons, right? Like, Hey, right now I do need to put more here. And then I, then you get right. to a point where you're like, I think I have a little more for over here and you just kind of move it around. It's, but it's not easy to do because there's always somebody coming in, somebody or something coming in saying, give me some of it. Right. And you have to decide, do I give you some of it or do I keep it where I think it should go? Because everyone's going to have an opinion about what you should do with your time and, and your life. And it's hard to, to stay on like, no, no, I know what I need for me mm-hmm. more than anybody. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. This is what I recently was sort of describing. One of the central themes of my music is like trying to tease apart the degree to which attachment either gets in the way of or enhances our (laughs) self-actualization. That's an easy song to write. (laughs) Right? It's a long title, but but I think it's got a lot of power in it. (laughs) Well, like I have this song called Polyamory Blues, and there's this line that I know a lot of my poly friends really relate to where I say, um, uh, all the pain we're feeling is fine if we are healing, but baby, are we healing or are we just revealing our pain? And I think that that can kind of get at sometimes, uh, not all the time, but sometimes I do think folks in the poly community confuse the amount of time they spend in emotional processing Mm -hmm. with amount of growth that has taken place. And, 
um, can kind of justify a lot of really messy relational complexity by saying like, oh, I'm growing through this because I'm like learning new things. And sometimes I feel like maybe that growth could have just happened with like fewer partners and made less of a mess. And maybe it's a sort of like throwing fuel on the fire as Mm -hmm. opposed to like actually letting the thing burn through, you know? Um, And I think that's a danger that it's, it's hard for us to talk about because of course we're still in this like new world of polyamory and non-monogamy becoming more normalized. And we don't want to talk about the problematic ways that it can play out in our communities but it is something that's that's hard to um, keep track of. Mm-hmm. Totally, the, the analogy that come to, came to mind when you said that is like the idea of lifting weights, right? And if you just if you went to the gym all day every day, your body doesn't ever have any time to recover or do right. anything with that. And so if you're just like hard relationship, hard relationship, look at all this growth, (laughs) look at all this growth. And you're just exhausted because you've never stopped to enjoy it or to let it soak in. Like you're just, yeah, you're just always in a state of processing and figuring it out. And it is, it's exhausting. It's hard. And the heart is a muscle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the analogy is very apt. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. Did you have more on that? No, I was. I wanted to hear when. When did? Well, you go. I won't. I won't ask your question. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Backing up, like, yeah, what? When did non-monogamy enter your life? When? When did different alternative relationship structures kind of yeah. come into your life? Become part of the thing you're questioning, just like yeah. everything else. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, actually, that's a great way of putting it because I was raised by two philosophy professors and um i you know the term sex positive didn't exactly exist uh when i was a kid but i would say it was a a sex positive household it was and and everything was very like all topics are up for debate when your parents are philosophers like everything is is um worthy of uh questioning and taking apart and I remember actually it was a student of my dad's who my dad does a lot of like um, political activism stuff. And he had um, a, uh, it was a justice for Palestine group. And there was a student that um, was, you know, a friend of the family had been part of it. And she, uh, she was like over for dinner with my family and said something about being in an open relationship. And I would, I remember like my ears like perked up. I was like in high school and I was like, huh, you know, like what's that about? And I could tell, you know, my parents, radical thinkers as they are, were sort of like, mm, you know, <laughs> uh, not convinced by this model. But she was talking about it and she was like so excited about it. And I think that's when it first entered my consciousness as an option. And then I would say there began a period of years that I would just call like really sloppy confusion. Um, (laughs) Like I went to a college uh, called Reed college where the, um, the like slogan for the school is atheism, communism, free love. (laughs) And um, 
I, I came expecting all of those things to be really present there. It was a little bit of an oversell, I would say, of <laughs> what was on the menu in the student body. But yeah, there were, there were people who were sort of practicing non-monogamy And it looked to me, I was sort of observing my friends have open relationships and it looked to me to be really exhausting and really like hurtful all the time. And it, I was sort of like, okay, I kind of get this idea, but also this looks awful. And there, you know, it was like college hookup culture meets we don't have the emotional maturity to actually talk about anything, let Mm -hmm. alone the boundaries that we're not even aware of in our own bodies and that we're continually breaking with each other with some kind of agreement that we're allowed to break boundaries Mm -hmm. because that's what open means. So, you know, stuff like there'd be some party and you know, one partner would find the other partner hooking up with someone and, you know, like it would be just so much drama, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was a drama fest. And so I just sort of observed that and I was like, that just looks really messy and hard and like, doesn't totally appeal to me. Um, and, um, so, you know, I, I, after that, I moved to the Bay Area. Non-monogamy was a little more present. Um, that was 2008, so it still wasn't like everywhere the way it is now in the Bay Area. But um, I was, I was sort of, I was becoming more used to the idea. But I still had this view that I was like, I, look, if I'm dating someone. I just kind of, I don't want to have to um, question some of these basic, again, I had these basic assumptions that I assumed were like really normal. And I was like, I don't want to have to do the work of Mm -hmm. uh, taking these apart, which actually I just, you know, as much as we're praising the Mm -hmm. idea that, um, you know, it's really good to question these assumptions. I think it's valid. Like some people have such complicated lives where they're like, you know what, if we have a set of understandings that keeps our life less emotionally complicated and we don't want to have to interrogate these all the time. Like, I think that's valid. Yes. And that's where I was at. Um, but then I started dating someone who was like, I want to be non-monogamous. And I said, okay, I'm not sure if I can do it, but I'm willing to try. And then the second I told him that there was someone I wanted to go on a date with, he was like, "Never mind, I want to be monogamous." <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard that story before. That's interesting. That's an interesting take on it. <laughs> are you Are you kidding? Or are yes, you... very okay, much kidding. Yeah. Yes, we, that's and it's very common. Exactly that gender split. It's the, yes. the guys like I really want to do this, and and then finally his wife or his girlfriend is like okay, let's do it. And then she jumps on the apps and she's like, this is amazing. He's like, no, we're not doing this anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So that, that sort of classic thing happened. And then I was like, okay, well, I, I actually don't really want to do this either. And so I'm down to be monogamous. And so later I had another relationship, like the next one after that one, where, um, we, we didn't necessarily want to be non-monogamous. This is this is really the one where I learned a lot about my needs within non-monogamy because he moved 
to Africa for nine months. And we actually didn't plan on like staying in a relationship. Um, but we did. I mean, we were just in love and we just kept on talking and we sort of fell into, I think we're in this long distance relationship, but we decided to have like a don't ask, don't tell situation. And that's when I learned, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like this because the problem is I'm too intuitive and I could mm-hmm. tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I knew it, it was so weird. It was like just from the cadence of his texts and, the tone when I got him on the, I could just tell that there was somebody else and I had to piece it together. And that's, and that was torture for me. And that's when I learned, I was like, Oh, I don't, that's the feeling I don't like. It's Mm -hmm. not actually the thought of a partner with someone else that bothers me. It's the piecing it together. It's like the, the having to figure it out. Um, that makes me feel paranoid, makes me feel controlling and insane and obsessive and, you know, just a really, uh, like a version of myself that I don't want. And so at the time, you know, the pain of the distance was so extreme. And by that point we had decided that he was going to like move back and we were going to be together. So we just kind of cut off the, the arrangement and we're like, we're going to be monogamous. You know, we've only got like a month left of dealing with this long distance thing. Let's just not do this anymore. And then, um, yeah, basically that relationship ended up like we were monogamous. We were together for a while. And then, um, when things started to go south with that relationship, I started to feel really um, trapped. And some of the conflict felt like it was around my time and my like sexual attention. Like, like it felt like he felt entitled to it. And I remember feeling like really shut down. And then when I got out of that relationship, I remember feeling like, I never want to be in a relationship where someone feels entitled to my time and my attention and affection like that again. So it was like really more about sovereignty than it was about freedom in a way. And I know they sound really similar, but after that, I just felt, I was like, I don't, I don't want anyone to assume that they like own me basically. And that they own my heart. Like my heart is something I want to be giving freely. And I want the freedom to renegotiate what that looks like. And yeah, I don't want anyone to assume that I'm sharing their bed every night. I don't want a partner to assume that like I'm hanging out with them every night. And so really from that relationship on, I was like, any new relationship I start, I am starting with a premise of non-monogamy. And then of course, from there, it was a very, you know, like reading lots of books and trial and error and all kinds of missteps and growth and um, et cetera. But yeah. yeah. Well, I think too in there, what, what you, you said something a few minutes ago that I think was spot on and it plays right into this, which is the idea that 
if you don't have the interest or the bandwidth in your life to go and start, I don't want to say breaking the rules, but but breaking the rules. You know, we as a society, we set out this is the way we do relationships and everybody kind of follows it. Yeah. And you can do it with, I would say, relative ease. You can follow the scripts. You don't have to dissect a whole lot of yourself because there's so many examples and you have support from everybody, right? You go through a breakup. Everybody comes to your side. Oh, your boyfriend's such an asshole. How could he do that? And on the other side, oh, your girlfriend's such an asshole. How could she do that? Mm-hmm. And so you have all of these sort of constructs that make it go smoother, even if it doesn't feel good. And then you take it and you break it apart. And now you have to be in a breakup where you're like, no, I still love my boyfriend. And their girlfriend is amazing. And and your your friends are like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, no, that's not how we do this. And so it's mm-hmm. it's just a lot more, there's a lot more energy that goes into it. And yes. And yeah. like, yes, that's the example of telling your friends, but just the communication it takes to do this, where you're opening a relationship from the beginning and putting everything on the table, but not too much on the table, but you know, there's so many nuances to it that you're totally right. Like some people, and, and there are times where even us are just like, I just don't have the energy to do all of the weightlifting that we just said we couldn't do every single day. And, right. and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just, it, it, it resonated for me to, to hear you saying that like, You've you've decided, well, from now on, it's going to be open, but it's also that sort of a commitment to, okay, there's going to be a lot of work done here because we've got to, we've got to work on ourselves, We've got to work on our communication. We've got to work on security so we can show up in a way that it's not just your theory of, I don't want people to own me or my heart or my time. But it's also scary when you're interacting with people on the other end of that to to then give up that control and the security. So there's, it's a double-edged sword. You don't want it for you, but then you also have to give it to somebody else. And that often pings us in ways that is harder than we expected. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard on a, um, from a like gender perspective too, like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, reading bell hooks all about love right now. Cause that's where I'm at in my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she she really talks about this um, uh, kind of norm that we've all kind of accepted, which is that men, especially male writers that are talking about love, often talk about like what it is to receive love <clears throat> and talk from this place of authority about what it feels like um, to be in love, whereas uh, women writers are often... Um, writing from a place of like a lack, like feeling a lack of love and how, you know, uh, when you're socialized as a girl and as a woman to be constantly attuned and like nurturing to other, this is the people around you, especially like the male socialized folks around you, it, it can be really hard to track in a relationship, like whether there is parity of attunement and care, like, you know, Bell Hooks definition of love is that you are, you are, what's the verb she uses? You are, this isn't the verb, but you are stretching yourself for the spiritual growth of another person. Mm -hmm. And for me, something that I've had to track is like, 
are we both stretching ourselves for the spiritual growth of the other person? Or um, am I doing a lot of stretching (laughs) and then setting boundaries when I can't stretch anymore and hoping that my boundaries are respected and calling that stretching on their part? Yep. (laughs) That's so relatable. (laughs) That is a very... Great way to look at that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, and that's, and I think that's why it's like, I need right now I'm at a place in my life where I need to like go back to baseline of like, what does it look like when I'm not stretching for anyone else's growth? But yeah, I think it's tricky when you get into the poly realm of like, um, you know, it's so, uh, it's, it's a big, it's a big lift, um, for people in general to set boundaries, but especially uh, people socialized as girls and women to mm-hmm. set boundaries mm-hmm. that that itself can just feel like, Oh, that's the growth. And like, just, just making an ask or setting a boundary is it, but it's like, Oh, like I am going so much. I am like, so thinking about this other person's spiritual development in my life. And like, how do I help them become their like true self? And yeah. Anyway, I'm just restating what I just said, but <laughs> no, but it's important. So it's okay to restate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so, so important. The idea that, yeah, we, we, I think we all, but yes, women like conditioned to give up so much more of who you are, what you want to make sure the people around you are getting theirs. And I've right. There's, that's a big thread in motherhood, right. Is Mm -hmm. we give up everything for our babies and, and you know, that's the ultimate like sacrifice and, and that you have to, that you feel that you have to do that is so, it seems like it's one of those that you're like fighting back against and saying, that's not another norm that I need to, to, to believe or to follow. But it's so prevalent that you still feel the pull to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that I'm good at it. That's mm-hmm. the problem. It's like, if you're mm-hmm. really good at nurturing and loving and you know, you're going to do it. Cause mm-hmm. um, yeah. So it's, it's a real journey. I mean, I think right now I'm at a stage of life where a lot of friends are trying to figure out, especially, you know, poly queer friends are trying to figure out like, how do we create, you know, radical family structures, new, um, new ways of being sort of interdependent with adults, creating a support structure for kids. And it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very complicated thing to figure out. But I do think the practice of being in non-monogamous relationship does give you like just really good practice and structure for having even conversations with your friends about like, okay, you want me to be a godparent? Like, what does that mean? How, mm-hmm. how do we create that connection? What are the expectations? Like, what does that mean for us? And that's really exciting to me. Um, I think like, again, it's also, you have to be careful that you're not saying, oh, I want to create a radical structure, which now means that I'm sort of shirking my like effort in my primary relationships because I'm like, whatever, it's like the, the polycule will just kind of figure it out and we're being radical. Like, I think we should always be careful that we're not saying radical when we mean 
um, sort of uh, shallow and spread out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I'm excited about that sort of next evolution of relationships. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think something too, you said that when you said I'm really good at it, right? And I think there's something in there, which is you can be really good at it. And if you do it, quote unquote, well, it can bring an abundance of sort of love and attention to you because who doesn't want to be around somebody that will give up everything and drop everything to make you feel loved and amazing. So that's Mm -hmm. a really great place to keep coming back to be like, well, every time I go on Rachel, it's amazing. And she'll give up, she'll, she'll, she'll put her guitar down and she'll sit and talk to me and she'll give up everything she was doing to be with me. And how amazing does that feel mm-hmm. until two years later? You're like, I can't remember the last time I heard Rachel play her guitar and, <laughs> and now she's given up who she is. And right. what do we have now as a, as a partnership? That's a really Which, tricky balance. Yeah. 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 Which who know we're, like you're who knows if that's actually like you're giving an example right of what yeah is a potential yeah I have not the- been following her as a document <laughs> <laughs> yeah but an example of that like give 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 it's so easy to um to fall into that pattern yeah. and because it's on on both ends it can it can especially at the beginning, like until you step back and take a look at it, it can feel really good and that that those hormones and that like connection with somebody is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, bell hooks gives a word for that too. She's like, that's not love. That's cathexis. Do you guys know that? Oh, I've not. Is that <laughs> some version of like NRE and the, all the, the brain? Yeah. Chemicals? I mean, it can be more lasting than NRE. It's basically, okay. but what we think of as that feeling of love. Um, she's, she, yeah, I actually don't think it's her term, but she brings it up a lot. And she talks about how, especially um, her definition of love can't exist with abuse, right? Or like neglect or harm. So this is, for instance, you know, kids that were abused by their parents might be like, well, I know that my parents loved me. Um, you know, but you know, they, there was all this abuse or whatever. And she's like, well, that wasn't love because love doesn't have abuse in it. Right. So that was cathexis. Like you felt this feeling, um, and these like, you know, hormones and the, the stuff we connect with, with like, oh, I feel this, you know, warmth and draw towards this person, Maybe even a way of thinking of it is like, I want love from this person. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a feeling of like desiring of love from this person, but that's not necessarily love. I'm not sure I totally buy that definition, by the way, because I feel like in this definition, I can't love my dog and I do. And <laughs> I know that I do. So yeah. I'm like, I don't, you know, cause she also talks about how care is not love. Care is also something you can receive from people and not actually have them stretching themselves for your own spiritual development. Mm-hmm. Right. You could just like be kept. Um, as I think like so many, you know, domestic partners might feel like, Oh, well I receive care. And like, this is enough. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm not sure I buy it, but it's an interesting distinction. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. it's for sure. It's interesting. And bell hooks is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so as you, I mean, kind of picking up the threads of where you're at then in the relationship sort of journey for yourself. How did you start to tease some of these ideas apart so you could show up, you know, from the beginning as, 
you know, at least having those conversations about being open and what you wanted, that's probably, I imagine that's a growth path as well. You don't show up on day one, like knowing how to do it. And to add on top of that, like approximately yeah. like how many years ago was this just for context? Like, uh, 10. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I didn't yeah. know if it was like two or like 15. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, last, yeah. Last week we decided yeah. this. No. So my, so, um, my partner of seven years who I broke up with almost two years ago, um, that was the relationship where I started it and I was like, I don't want to be monogamous. And that was really my first like serious relationship where that was the stated relationship model from day one. And in that situation, he was the one who was like, well, I don't know if I can do it, but I'll try. And I didn't fully know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I would say the first two years were real slow in terms of opening up. I mean, it was, it was not a priority to like have other partners hook up with other people often. Um, we really like, took our time with it. Um, I already had um, sort of a friend with benefits in another city. And I was sort of like, I would like to keep hooking up with this person when I go to that city. And so that was kind of like already in play when we started dating. And so that was a, that was kind of a nice, like sort of starter Maybe experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like a bit, you know, cause it felt pretty, safe to him because this was something, this was like a connection that hadn't escalated yeah. and he kind of felt secure that, okay, this is sort of this compartmentalized thing in another city that really will have no impact on mm -hmm. like us in our daily life. Yeah. Um, so and it was, it was already sort of, established yeah. like, previously. Yeah. Right. So, so that's kind of how it started. And for, I don't know, honestly, it might've been more than the first year. That's kind of the extent of our like extra relational affairs. Um, and then like very slowly, I think we went to some play parties together and, you know, and there like th that was its own sort of baby mm -hmm. step situation. Like first it's like, we're just, us together and then it's like okay we're gonna like maybe hook up with someone else together and and uh yeah just really gradually over time with a lot of care you know mostly me sort of encouraging him to get out there really doing a lot of care when I was going on a date with someone you know which would look like you know hanging out for a few hours before I left and just like listening to, you know, his concerns and his fears and just like validating that like it, he wasn't crazy for having them, but also explaining why, like, you know, I'm so committed to this partnership and, you know, just like putting in those hours. Um, and <laughs> eventually just, you know, it was like, I don't remember a moment, but there was like, maybe four or five years in where we were just sort of aware, like, Oh, we, we've like kind of figured this out. Like it, you know, it got to the point where, you know, if one of us hooked up with somebody else, we wanted to go on a date with somebody else. It was like a 10 minute conversation as opposed to a, you know, like four hour, hour like, <laughs> process fest. And of course there were still times when we had to process stuff pretty deeply, but 
it just became, we were just noticing, we were like, oh, this is becoming a pretty small deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we became that couple in our friend group that sort of knew how to do polyamory and would be the like advice people for uh, when other people were opening up and stuff until the point that we started actually having regular, you know, real other partners who were like part of our lives. We're, we were very like kitchen table poly, meaning, uh, we, we like to know and hang out with our other partners. We like them to be part of the like social landscape Mm -hmm. and feel comfortable like coming over and all of us sharing space together. We actually went on a vacation, at one point with his other partner and my other partner and a group of friends, um, which ended up being like a little complicated. And after that, <laughs> we're sort of like, I don't know if we always want to do that, but like, it was pretty, it was pretty chill. Um, so yeah. And then after that, I started dating someone who, um, you know, we all, again, like he was experienced being polyamorous. I was too. And that was an assumption going into it. So yeah. About 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I love the two, just the piece that you talk about, like the evolution of those conversations in the early days. And because yeah. uh, I think, it, and this is something we've experienced and we're even still figuring out, which is those early, those first times you're doing this, those conversations, they take hours. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, they start off, they take five hours and then they take four and a half hours. And then pretty soon you're like, it's not that big of a deal, but you know, there is a lot to that to say, well, in the early days, could you have done two or three consecutive or, you know, partners at the same time? Like, I can't process 12 hours a day. So like, I only have the room for one. But now as you maybe get a little more confident in it, that you can then you can start again, you can start messing with the rules, the quote unquote rules of what we're doing and saying, okay, well, we've We've broken out of that one. What else can we break out of and how and how do we do that together? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's also a really good example of what happens, what can happen when you slow down. When yes. you take the time, like you didn't really necessarily know what you were doing. He was new to this. So it doesn't need to take t- 20 years. Not like there's anything wrong with taking it 20 years, but it you didn't try to make it happen in three months. And right, right. for the two of you, you're like, we're going to just take this slow and push ourselves to have those conversations and to work on it, but to, um, to you know, to make it a priority slowly, like yeah. over time and trust the process, trust the process that if we go down this road, that eventually we hopefully will figure it out. And it sounds like you got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it just is it's a great example of the benefit of doing that sometimes. And it's not easy. And it's not like it's, it's not like it, you know, doesn't come with its own set of frustrations and challenges, but. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's such a good reminder for people who are just starting out and feel like their process with their partner is like going slower than the people around them. Like, you know, I'm part of a few different like poly play party communities. And, you know, I always like, think about how when you're coming into a space like that, it looks like you look around and you're like, oh, this is a free for all. All these people have it totally figured out. They're all hooking up with each other with like no problem and no drama. And they, they made it to this magical place where you don't ever have feelings about this stuff. 
and they're all just having a great time. And me and, you know, my partner over here are in this little fight because I didn't tell them about a text that I received. Like, blah. And actually, (laughs) there is so much more than what you're seeing on the surface when you walk into those spaces. You don't see the five hours of processing that was necessary to even go to this thing for, you know, some of the couples that you're looking at. You don't see the the fact that this person is, you know, you saw them hooking up with like two different people, but maybe that that's it because they pre-negotiated that those were the only two people they were going to hook up with. And to you, it looks like they're just like doing whatever they want and it's a free for all, but actually this was a super negotiated experience with a lot of guardrails and a lot of aftercare. Um, and so it's so easy to just like look around and think like, oh, man, everyone else is just having a great time and I'm stuck in processing hell over here. And it's like, no, we're all in processing hell uh, if we're doing it right. <laughs> yes. It's, it comes with, it, you know, living intentionally with your relationships comes with processing hell often. Yes. Like yes. Just, just- and, and like, as you know, you, you were saying earlier, like, and that processing hell gets a little less intense and takes a little yes. less time every time you you go through it if you show up each time and like make the commitment to learn from it and care for the other person and validate how they're feeling yes exactly yeah yeah so yeah. my my next question is not i wouldn't say it's it's not authentic but it is why why bother going through all the processing hell if you could do a relationship <laughs> style where you don't have to Hmm. Why do it? Yeah, I guess it it's um it's a value that that I have to get better at loving. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think everyone has to have that value. I don't think everyone does have to go through processing hell. And I always try to remind myself that um there are things that you learn by being in a monogamous relationship with the same person for 50 years that mm-hmm. I will never learn. Mm-hmm. They have that, that model brings its own lessons mm-hmm. and challenges and challenges and, yeah. and growth. You exactly, know, I don't yeah. think that that's a stunted emotionally stunted way of living. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, however, I have learned so much more about, how to love in other parts of my life by um, interrogating the assumptions of my romantic partnerships. And to me, it's worth it. Um, there's a sex educator named Marsha Brzezinski. Has she been on this podcast with you guys? Not no, yet. not no. yet. Uh, she's amazing. But she talks about uh, polyamory as um, she says, it's similar to like rock climbing where, um, you know, there are risks and it's hard and it takes a lot of time. And a lot of people might look at it and be like, I don't see why you'd want to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's fine. Not everyone has to rock climb. But for the people who do it, it's extremely rewarding. And um, that's sort of how I feel about uh, this way of relating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to challenge you into yeah. it. I just, I, <laughs> I, because it's, it is, that's the question that we often get from people who are not part of the community or who haven't experienced it. 
And I would even say sometimes even people in, let's say more of like the casual swinging community, like we, why would you, why would, why would you mess up all this amazing sex by like weaving in feelings like that? That just makes it harder. And I mean, the thing is, you don't have to. You don't? Yeah, you don't. Right. Yeah. Totally valid. If you just want to, yeah, if you, if your life feels emotionally full and you feel like you're growing and you love your partner and you guys don't want to open up your relationship, but you do want to fuck other people, mm-hmm. the swing community is the place for you. That's yeah. great. Yeah. You know, or certain kink spaces or whatever. Like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, compartmentalizing sex and, um, having, you know, respectful, uh, caring, casual sex and not getting into partnerships with people. Yeah. I think that's, that's fine. Totally. I think there is a piece too. in what you said that again, these are my own opinions, not, not building, not, not putting them on you, but it's just around the idea that I'm trying to think about the best way to say it, that the, the processing hell, you say like not everybody has to or wants to go through that. And I think for me, what I have looked back a little bit on our life and recognized our, our relationship was we were, we still needed to do that processing, even if we were going to be monogamous right? and we were avoiding it because mm. we could. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of things yes. brewing in our partnership that we were able to hide from ourselves, from each other mm. for a very long time. And this, this approach for us forced us uh, to, uh, to interrogate all of those and rethink everything about our partnership. I think rather we were going to be monogamous or, yeah. or otherwise. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's real. And Yeah, I think that it's, you know, just like the kink community gave us so many tools for having sex, even if it's not kinky sex. Mm -hmm. I think like the practice of polyamory has given us so much tool, so many tools for talking about our romantic and sexual feelings, even if we're not doing polyamory. And Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, that's, that's so real. Like, for instance, the book Polysecure, I thought it was groundbreaking, illuminating, incredible, and feel that way for monogamous people too. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that, that book is excellent reading for understanding how we love within an ecosystem of attachment. That's true for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I just recognize that we could ask you a bunch more questions. Always, I feel like. Well, that's what part twos are for. We've we've gotten good at this. Well, that's because we have so many. This podcast should be four hours long because there's no way to to get all of it in one hour. I just feel that strongly. Uh, (laughs) Totally. Yeah, in that I guess in that light, then we would love for you to be respectful of your time as well. We'd love for you to just talk a little bit about your work and then um, we'll wrap up with a few more questions. Sure. So I like to write songs about sexuality, kink, relationships, feminism. Um, All of these themes really culminated in an original musical that I wrote, produced and starred in called Coming Soon. It's about a woman who's been faking her orgasms. And she goes on a personal journey to figure out what she actually wants, um, 
how to stop faking and how to communicate. And, um, I just, I don't know. I, I kind of stumbled into this niche of like sort of comedy, sex, uh, musical writing. But I think that the kind of special flavor I throw on it is a little political analysis <laughs> as well. So I have a new EP that's going to drop on October 27th. It's called Warm by the Dumpster Fire. Um, there's a couple singles already out now. And you can learn more about my music at rachellark.com and follow me on Instagram at rachellarkmusic. Love it. And yeah. links to those will be in the show notes so people can find you without yeah. having to. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, and I should say the best way to connect with me and support my music is to support me. <laughs> The best way, yeah. <laughs> the best way to connect with me and support my music is to support me on Patreon, and yeah. that's at uh, patreoncom slash Lark. Got it. Awesome. And links will be there directly for that as well. So, yes, please do that. I think that's something that people don't necessarily think about is that like the the amount of time and energy that goes into the work, and that like we're not out here, we don't have huge contracts with Spotify making a million dollars a year, and so the work. The, the work we do gets funded $5 at a time by yep. as many people as we can find. So mm-hmm. yeah, check that out for sure. Yeah. And I love your music. I just have to say that. So <laughs> oh, your music is wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I love your podcast. Thank well, you thank for you. doing it. <laughs> I love it. Well, one, one of the questions that we love to ask people and, and hopefully as somebody who has a bit of comedic, flare yourself is around mm-hmm. bloopers and if there are any that that have shown up in our lives to show us that we don't take our relationships and life too too seriously and that even when we do life still has a way of making us laugh at ourselves <laughs> so it could be sexual it could be not and we just love to throw it out there and and see if bloopers. there's anything that comes to mind for you when something didn't go as planned well okay so i pride myself on um being good friends with my exes whenever possible. And, um, I also have a lot of, uh, friends that are like real nerds about sexuality. And I hosted a party where I had a friend who was leading a workshop on, um, it was called rescripting sex. Um, my friends, Jasmine Fitzpatrick, she's amazing. And she was leading this workshop called rescripting sex. And at one point, you know, she wanted everyone to get into groups, uh, to like talk about our previous sexual scripts that we'd had for ourselves. And, uh, I got into a group and suddenly realized that I was in a group with two exes and my current partner. (laughs) (laughs) And I just like looked around and then I just burst out laughing and I was like, no way. And then I walked away (laughs) and got into a different group. (laughs) So that was kind of a moment where I was like, Oh yeah, like there's uh, pluses to staying in community with your exes, and then also there's moments where you're like, I don't want to do this right now with this group of people. (laughs) Some information is best left unshared. Yeah, (laughs) like let's not, let's just not do that right now. Let's. (laughs) (laughs) You three talk talk amongst yourselves. You'll figure it out. (laughs) Have a field day with that one. (laughs) Bye. Yeah. Worst group draw ever. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the topic doesn't make it any better. No. Like <laughs> no. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, 
as as we said, we'd love to have you back on, Rachel, and we can, I don't know, pick up more threads of, of your personal story. I know we just we talked a lot about philosophically around non-monogamy and and I love that. And so we'd love to have you back on at any point the next time an album comes out or a tour or whatever, we're here and we'd love to do it. So before that, is there anything that we haven't talked about or asked about that you just wanted to make sure that you got out into the world today that, that you think people need to hear? This is more shameless self-promotion, but I <laughs> realize. Please do it. <laughs> yeah, I do want to make sure that people know that I am on tour currently. Uh, I'll be performing in Oakland, um, LA, Portland, and Seattle, and New York. Um, so check out my website for those tour dates because I love performing live. It's like, it's just the best feeling. It's a roller coaster, but it lands everybody in a happy place. So come on out. I love it. And when you come, you're kind of an Oakland native ish, right? You spend a lot of time in Oakland. Does it, it gets pretty rowdy when you come to town, I imagine. It gets, yeah, it gets rowdy. My crowd's pretty rowdy, man. They were like crazy. Um, yeah, I have a lot of fans in the Bay Area. I lived there for 13 years. Um, and um, my shows in the Bay are, are really fun. But yeah. I would I would say my fans, I would say the rate the average Rachel Arc fan is probably a more conscientious human than the average fan of other artists, I'll go ahead and praise my fan base, um, mm-hmm. in that way. So, you know, rowdy, but like consensually rowdy. Yeah. Rowdy, right. rowdy, but respectable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what I meant. I, it was baked in. It was baked yeah. in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, we look forward to it and we, we hope to do this again soon. Yeah. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on the podcast, sharing sharing everything that you did. We had such a lovely conversation and loved, loved talking to you. We're also super grateful for all of the amazing work that you do and that you put out into the world. A quick reminder, go to the links in your podcast show notes and support Rachel on her Patreon page and or both both things get your ass to one of her shows exactly go check out one of her upcoming live shows uh information available on her website yes again as emma said thank you rachel and we are super stoked to get some people to your shows get some butts in the seats yes as they say somewhere (laughs) somewhere A few quick reminders. Our next virtual meet and greet is going to be on October 20th. And please send us your questions for the Ask Us Anything episodes that we are launching. You can find out more by going to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And under the podcast tab, you can find a link there to the Ask Us Anything episodes. Yes, I'm excited about those. You can also go back last Friday and listen to the announcement. Yeah, you can do that too. I'm, I'm super excited about these. And so I'm really excited to hear what the questions are out there in the world that people want us to answer. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to answer them with all of my wisdom and opinions, <laughs> or at least opinions. Yeah, both, both. There's both. You seem skeptical. <laughs> Coming up next week, we have a fantastic interview with Brew and Mark. This it one's is, gold. It's, it's a beautiful beautiful conversation. I think one of the things that stood out to me is we we often hear people say, oh, you've got to do the work. You've got to do the work. I'm doing the work. And nobody ever says what the hell the work is. 
It's true. These two, not only are they doing the work, they can talk about it in a way that I have not heard before. So I am super excited about this episode, and we can't wait to come back next week. And until then, we hope you send us your questions, have a wonderful week, and take care of yourself. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.